like the little uh, Hendrix on the way in to Hour 2 of Toronto today. Makes me think of Voodoo Child. Little Hollywood Hulk Hogan action coming down. You see, I knew I was going to go wrestling, but I see, I got bumped on wrestling here for Hour 2 because Frankie DG, which is at Coach Frank 18 on Twitter, wants my thoughts on SummerSlam. So before we get the winner's word and what, I'm with you. Rollins Ziggler should have been so much better. Thumbs down. Ms. Daniel Bryan stole the show. Overall, eh, I don't know. Not 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 worth a four-hour pay-per-view, Frankie. I got to tell you. You could do four hours of that. Eh. Nah, not, not my cup of tea. They should have done better. But I'm with you. Saturday night NXT, though. NXT TakeOver Saturday night, Frank? That was thumbs up. I don't know if you saw that. If you haven't, go back and watch that. That was good. All right. Winners, weird, and what? Something we like to do on Golf Talk Canada every Saturday morning on the TSN Radio Network. Heard right here on 1050 at 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. live. Myself, Bob Weeks, Adam Scully. And then we do it again. Our TV version of Golf Talk Canada Television is every Wednesday. So we give you a winners, weird, and what? It's our version of the good, the bad, and the ugly. What we're going to do is we're going to non-golfer up this time. We're going to do a generic sports version of the good, the bad, and the ugly. The winners, weird, and what? With Joe Narsa, my producer today. Joe, you ready to go on this, brother? I am. All right. So I'm going to, because I'm the host, and this is your first ever winners, weird, and what, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to give you the tea. Back to your shanties. <laughs> a little shooter McGavin there, maybe. He is my favorite golfer of all time. Have you ever seen the... There's a picture somebody posted once on Instagram, and it says, the greatest golfer of all time... Shooter, baby. And Tiger Woods. <laughs> I love it. Before you get to your winner, I met Shooter McGavin. I forget his real name. He's an, uh, been a long-time Hollywood, Hollywood actor. But I met him... Michael O'Keefe, who played Danny Noonan in Caddyshack, and Don Johnson, who was in Tin Cup. I met the three of them at Riviera in L.A. on the Wednesday Pro-Am of uh, what used to be the Northern Trust, now the Genesis Open L.A. And I was like, oh my God, Shooter McGavin. So that's Christopher McDonald. <laughs> that's it, Christopher McDonald. Shooter McGavin, and that would be a great foursome. <laughs> all right, give it going. It's all yours, Joe. Give me your winner, baby. So my winner is John Gibbons for tearing the Blue Jays and Kevin Pillar a new one after the Blue Jays were down 6-2 following a grand slam by Greg Bird. In the fifth inning, Kevin Pillar decides to steal third while down 6-2 in the fifth. <laughs> he comes back, Gibby yells at him and says, look at the scoreboard. And then like two innings later, they try and trap uh, at home to get a double play. They miss it. And Russ Martin throws to first, doesn't even get the guy at first, and Gibby says, that's it, I'm done. Yells at the ump for no reason, gets ejected, and probably said thank you on the way back to the dugout. So, John Gibbons, you are my winner for actually still caring yeah. about this Blue Jay season. That, that's it right there, is it, Joe? It's the fact that he actually is still doing his job. Right is the reason he's the winner because so many guys would be in the clubhouse with his feet up eating nachos right now, and he's sitting there arguing about it still. I love it. He's like the supply teacher in the last week of June <laughs> who still wants to check your homework. You got to give them credit. Like that's a lot of work. Uh, my weird. You need to see this. It's on Clay Thompson's uh, Instagram and Bleach Report's Instagram. Marshawn Lynch was at his charity golf tournament and was on the tee with a driver. He is a righty. He's absolutely terrible. Swings his driver, lets go from his bottom hand, misses the ball, and spins around in a circle with his driver. 
and completely ma- like just completely airmails it. Are, are you shocked at how bad other professional athletes sometimes are at golf? Did you see Ovechkin trying to hit one uh, about a month ago? Same thing. Like wh- whiffs, misses the ball like three or four times before he makes contact. Like the like you figure these guys play sports where everything's moving so fast, and here's a sport where the ball is sitting still. And he just completely handcuffs him. But at least Ovechkin has a hole-in-one. This is true. This is true. So he was able to use his hand-eye coordination to hit a perfect shot at one point. So, But for a guy like Marshawn Lynch, who like never fumbles, can find a hole from anywhere, you'd think his hand-eye would be a little bit better than that, but it is. <laughs> it looks like your buddy who's having a rough round, and at the 17th, he's best friends with the cart people, and he just can't use his driver anymore. That's what Marshawn Lynch looked like. And my what... This one's actually a bit of a serious one. The NFL new helmet leading rule. I don't understand it. Players don't understand it. And it doesn't seem like the refs understand it either. Because over the weekend, the 49ers were playing, I think, and one of the corners were reaching in for a tackle, and his head was leading for Like, his head was behind his shoulders, but there's only one way to go forward, and your head sooner or later has to come with you. And he got a foul for it. It was a personal foul, 15 yards. I don't understand what they're going to do going forward because it seems like you can't throw a hit. On the heels of the season where we all asked, what's a catch, right? We watched the whole NFL season last year and tried to figure out because every week the definition of a catch seemed to change, or I should say the interpretation of that definition changed. And now here we are again with this helmet rule. And like I wanted to go into it with Kevin Sylvester because he covers a lot of bills for Buffalo Sports Page. But I'm like, we need 30 minutes to talk about this. Out of Bill's training camp, you had veterans walking out after a full day se- session with veteran referees explaining this. And you have veteran defensive players and offensive players of the Buffalo Bills coming out going, I have no clue what they're talking about or how this is going to be implemented. I, one thing I would... I kind of think is going to be a silver lining here. I think the NFL does these things on purpose as a reason to be a conversation in a preseason where nobody cares. Because, for example, last season, they had that rule where running backs weren't allowed to tuck their head down when getting through the line of scrimmage or trying to finish through a tackle. Mm -hmm. They started doing it week one, and nobody called one flag on it. But in the preseason, it was a flag. Uh, And I just feel like they try and tinker so that people like me and you can have this conversation and then the NFL is in the storyline. But to tinker with your game to a point where such a simplistic play is up for debate, it blows my mind. And if that's going to be the continuation of the season, we saw in the last few years, what is a catch has solved, has caused many problems. Even the Eagles Super Bowl had mm-hmm. questions on whether there was two catches that were a catch. What is a hit could be a problem every single down. It's well, I completely agree because it's on every single play. Joe, hats off to you, brother. Good debut on three dub. Winners, win what? Well done, sir. All right, tea is mine. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. All right, for my winner, I'm going to stay in the golf world because it's, it is quite a feat, and it's a little obscure because not a lot of people pay a lot of attention to PGA Tour Canada, McKenzie Tour. But the top five players on PGA Tour Canada get automatic qualification to the Web.com Tour. So they get one step closer to the show, the PGA Tour. My good friend Mark McCumber, who's my colleague on the PGA Tour radio team, a former winner of the Players' Championship, multiple, multiple winner on the PGA Tour his son, Tyler McCumber, is on PGA Tour Canada. Check out his record in his last four starts. Win, 
win, third, win. He has not finished lower than third in his last four starts. He's won three of them. I don't care what tour you're playing on. You win three of your last four. Well done, Tyler. That's amazing. And he's on his way to the web.com tour. If he takes the rest of the year off, he's on his way to the web.com tour. You win like that. I don't care what tour it is. Joe, winning's hard everywhere. Three out of four is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Because the consistency of having to show up three or four days in a row for four weeks is completely mind-blowing because everything has to be going right for you and for people that haven't seen what a professional guy looks like even a guy in the Canadian tour will blow you away because their game is completely tight they have every shot in their bag and to be able to do that against stiff competition on some great courses it's a great feat and it's awesome to see three and four that's insane now, my weird this week, this is bizarre, and I, I will be you know transparent. I am not the largest baseball fan in the world, but this, to me, leaped out of the page. I was absolutely shocked. Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays are two games above five hundred this year. But since May 19th, they have been kind of te- uh, teasing with and trying this out on a game-in, game-out basis. They have been putting out their closer to start games. So think about this. They're putting out their heat thrower, their guy that they can go to one, maybe two innings, and they're throwing him out there to start the game as the closer, watching the pitch count, taking him out in the second, maybe third inning, and putting their starter in now to finish the game, to give them six, seven innings, whatever they need to finish that game. Now you think this is absolutely crazy? It is weird. Baseball purists hate this, but they are leading in many defensive categories, including opponent batting averages since May 19th. And since May 19th, remember, they are two games above 500 overall. They're four games above 500 since going to this. I think it's bizarre. I've never heard anything like this before, but you got to love baseball for just getting into the numbers and trying this crazy stuff. What's interesting is a lot of pitching rotations will go fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, but that's over a five-day process. I think it's probably it's very ingenious that you bring a guy who throws heat and then those same guys in the rotation now have to hold on to their bats and they can't throw their arms as quickly because if your pitcher doesn't throw as hard as your closer, which usually that's the case, you're giving them a complete speed shift inside of a game And the only thing I could compare this to is in a soccer penalty shootout where your stars go first to set the tempo. That's (laughs) That's the only comparable that I can give you to bring out a guy who just throws flames to start a game and he's only in there for two innings. It's absolutely bizarre. Totally bizarre. My what this week? Now, Novak Djokovic beat Roger Federer at the Cincinnati Masters. And he has become the first player in tennis history to win all nine. ATP Tour 1000 Masters events. What's my what? What's an ATP Tour 1000 Master event? I like tennis. I watch the majors. I know who the players are. I'm kind of similar to tennis, how a lot of people are to golf. They watch the majors. They watch the Ryder Cup. They know who the top players are. But I'll tell you what. Golf, at least people know what the Players' Championship is. They they know what the World Golf Championship Series is. They've got an understanding of what top-tier events are and what bottom-tier events are. How come somebody like me, and I'm sure a lot of tennis fans that are familiar with the name ATP Tour, are familiar with all four majors, have no clue 
what a 1,000 Masters Series is. What have they done in their marketing department? What have they done to grow the tennis fan base outside of those four events a year? I've got to think the answer, Joe, is nothing. Do you even know this term? Did you know this term when I came and spoke about it this morning? The 1,000 Masters Series, he becomes the first guy to get it done. Could you name any of them? No, I don't. I will say I'm not the biggest tennis guy, but if you were to say Grand Slam or ATP, I would say, yes, absolutely. I know what you're talking about. Thank you very much. I did not know what you're talking about. It kind of sounded like a NASCAR race, to be honest, like because there's like 17 words to describe it. But here's the thing. I'll give you some background. Maybe this might help. I don't know. But the ATP World Tour Masters 1000s were previously known as the ATP Championship Series. Still never heard of it. Thank you. (laughs) And it is the third highest tier of annual men's tennis tournaments after the Grand Slam and the ATP Finals. So to put it into golf perspective... It's the World Golf Championship Series. No, it's actually third. It would be after the World Golf Championship Series because the World Golf Championship Series is the second Uh, most important thing. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to... Oh, FedEx Cup. or, Or the Players' Championship is the fifth major and the equivalent to the ATP Tour Finals. Oh, so this thing is like... The World Golf Championship Series or FedEx Cup, that third tier. Okay. Everybody knows those in golf, even if you're not hardcore, correct? Absolutely. So how come you and I are completely clueless here? I blame tennis. (laughs) I blame everybody but us, Joe. There's only one man who would know exactly what is going on here, and it would be Mark Masters. He could break this down from like the beginning to the end, and we'd still be confused. If I was hosting Toronto Today tomorrow... We would be forced to have Mark Masters on so we could have this argument that tennis completely dropped the ball on their own product and that your casual tennis fan has no clue what's going on other than four weeks a year. And I think that's pretty accurate. Absolutely. Not to mention that you put out this statement like it's such an amazing feat and nobody knows what this feat actually is. Like, exactly. It's like coming up with a fake uh, tournament halfway through oh, and just being like, yeah, and then, oh. and then he won this legendary tournament that nobody thought of. I love it. I love it. A legendary tournament that nobody knows what it is. That's it. Don't you have to know about it if it's legendary? Unreal. Okay, on the other side, we're going to get caught up with our Twitter poll. We asked the Twitter universe, do you, need to, do you need body contact to love the NHL the same way you need it to love the NFL? So we'll get to that. And we're also going to get an update on Joe because Joe was part of the big sports story of the week. And it wasn't a, a late win by the Argos on Saturday. It wasn't a Djokovic with this incredible feat that no one's ever heard of before. It wasn't Brant Snedeker's 59 at the Wyndham Championship. It was Joe's debut in the club championship at Caring Place Golf Club. We'll do get to that next. This is Toronto Today. Oh, yeah. All right, you gotta love that. That's one of the best entrance tunes of all time. A little Hollywood Hogan, NWO. This is Toronto Today. I am Mark Zucchino. Toronto Today is brought to you by Lease Busters. Get out of your vehicle lease as soon as possible. Over 200,000 customers per month are looking to take over your lease. What a relief. Go to leasebusters.com. Our Twitter poll this week was very simple. Eric Lindros last week suggested that Maybe it's time to remove body contact from the world of hockey. He suggested maybe at the minor hockey level and eventually right into the NHL level. Do you need NHL hockey to have body contact? So our Twitter poll question was, do you need body contact in the NHL the way you need body contact in the NFL? 
in order to love it, in order to still want to be a huge fan, in order for it to still be hockey? Is it as ingrained in the fabric as what contact is in the NFL? We've got some interesting theories, interesting feedback. 74% originally, early in the poll, suggested, yes, we need contact. 26% said, no, we don't need contact. The one theme in terms of remarks is even the 74% that said, yes, we want contact, also suggested they would prefer contact with more respect. Zero on headshots, things of that nature, more education. So we haven't updated the poll in about 30, 40 minutes. So, Joe, where are we at with this Twitter poll? Uh, have the numbers changed at all? Are the comments still the same? That even the players, even the people that want the contact don't need the, don't need the viciousness that I guess we're all kind of fed up with. Well, the poll hasn't changed. It's just 73% yes, part of the game. 20%, 27% no, hockey is hockey. Uh, no, hockey is hockey. Uh, but Cousin Eddie is saying you should ban body contact, at least until Bantam, in my opinion, to account for development differences because you can have huge kids and very small kids that are playing the same game, which is a very good fact. And then another guy just posted in Dolph the Dolphin. So we'll see what they have to say. <laughs> Wouldn't mind a ban. I'm all for keeping players healthy and seeing pure skill thrive. Right, and, and I guess, in a way, that's where I was going with this. And when I read Eric Lindros's comments, who had a history, obviously, of concussions and a, and a love-hate relationship with contact at, at the minor hockey league level and the professional level, because this was a guy who could dominate physically, but this was also a guy that was taken out quite a bit physically. And maybe the game didn't protect Eric Lindros the way it should have or the way it protects smaller players. In other words, because of his size and because of how physically dominating Eric Lindros was, maybe the refs allowed more liberties with towards Eric Lindros than they should have. So this is, you got to understand the context of Eric's opinion here. But where I was coming from this was, I love hockey because of the skill, the speed, the tic-tac-toe, the goal scoring. And I'm not so sure that I would love it, Joe, any less if... Contact was gone, but I still had all that other stuff. I don't personally think that I need it. I don't disagree for, for the reasons why you enjoy the game. I just feel like when there's no contact and there's no ability to push somebody off of the puck or you know force somebody off of the puck, it's a little frustrating to watch as a fan of your own team. So, for example... In the defensive end, that's where you crave physicality because your team is trying to get that puck out of their zone. I think in those situations, half of the time fans are, would be frustrated because you, you won't be able to see your team fight through it. And in a lot of those cases, the guy who's the faster, better skater is just going to skate around your D-man. So, and a great example of that is the situation where Nazem Kadri is battling with Connor McDavid and he's kind of shouldering him and pushing him off the puck early in the season last year. That may be body contact, depending on the type of ref you have. Well, if that ends that play and McDavid ends up in a with a you know penalty shot or it's a power play, that'll frustrate fans. So I think for me, I think contact is a is a part of the game. I don't think it drives my passion for the game, to your point, but I think in some situations it would frustrate 
the heck out of fans where they can't see their team actually physically try and push back. Right, and also, I kind of see where that's going to because body contact quite often from a fan perspective can equal effort, right? Being tough in the corner, being tough in front of your net. These are things that we have kind of become accustomed to and we translate that into effort where we don't see those things. Fans think, my team's not trying. And that's when you notice even the best players, the most talented players, the most skilled players, they get criticized for not going into places that they just don't play in. Phil Kessel's a perfect example. He's not a body-checking, physical-type winger. He's a scorer who has skill. There's no point of having him in a corner banging for a puck because he's going to get hurt or he's just not going to come out with it anyways. But if that's eliminated entirely, you might look at a player like Phil Kessel differently in the same reason why... There's always been that stigma around European players. Oh, their Euros are too soft. Well, no, their game is more speed-oriented, and that's why when they get to the NHL, they're usually a higher-rated player because their skill still shines out. But, yeah, if you push them around, it brings them down a notch, but that's only because they're not used to it. And to your point, it's always been an idea of showing how much work ethic and how hard somebody was willing to play to use physicality, but... It's also still an intangible that a lot of players have been able to make a career off of. And that's and I'm not talking about fighters, but your third, fourth liners that play a tough physical style game. And it'd be interesting to also see what players in those situations would think to Eric Lindros's point, because some of those players carved out a niche so young in their career, and a guy like Tom Wilson wouldn't be where he is right now without his physicality. Completely, and it's certainly that even that role has changed over the years, and we've seen the fourth lines role change over the years. And here's what I know about this: you know, are we going to see a day where there's zero contact in NHL hockey, hockey, like Eric Lindros has suggested? Highly unlikely. But like Craig Button suggested in hour one, the game is evolving, and could we see a day where there is zero tolerance on anything head-related, accidental or not? Could we see a day where open ice contact is gone and it's contact from a stationary position or against the boards or things of that nature to take away the real dangerous elements of the game, the boarding, the charging, the etc.? I got to think, I got to think eventually, Joe, we will get there somehow uh, because if not, we're going to just lose some, we're going to end up losing great talents. And at the end of the day, that's not what you want, right? And I think those are the biggest the biggest situations on the ice where players are concerned and where fans are concerned. They don't want to see somebody get injured. And I agree that in the future, those hits will deteriorate because players no longer do them. They won't be a part of the game. They'll be illegal. And I was just going to say right before you were talking about it, I think the most lenient call refs have in the NHL is charging. It's a very simple rule. It's three strides towards a player to initiate contact. If you take three strides or more, it's a charge. I watch... It happens almost on every play, Joe. Exactly. It's like holding in football. Exactly. And they never call it, right? Because the rule technically doesn't make any sense because to get to that player, you you will take take those strides. (laughs) So it's maybe the in-between is finding a better definition for the rule of a predatory hit. And once you define a predatory hit in a better, more minimalistic way, then that way you'll make sure players will not go after that. And then don't suspend them, you know, one game. Give them five, ten, and then they'll quit. 
I couldn't agree more with you, Joe. I think you hit it nail on the head there of what a predatory hit is and the charging rule needs to be redefined. We only got about a minute, minute and a half left here before we have to take a break, but I want to know how this weekend went at Caring Place. It was the biggest news story buzzing here Friday afternoon at TSN Radio here in Toronto. You played in the club championship at Caring Place, your first time ever playing in a club championship. Did you have fun? Tell us about the experience. Uh, Did we take home any hardware? I came in third. Well done. There was only three people playing in my flight. <laughs> that you could have left that out. That's, See, that's okay. the part you leave out. It's right? golf. You have to be honest about everything. I, I, <laughs> so I showed up. I told Bob Weeks to go home or go cover another event because you know right. he had more on his plate. Right. First day, I did not play well. I shot a 109, completely exploded. And nothing went well. I could have played with my hands, and I probably would have scored better than I did with my golf clubs. Uh, went home, regrouped, showed up in uh, all black, went all business. Did the full Gary Player Sunday full all Full Gary black. Player. I love it. I shot an 89 on the second day. That is ridiculous. I know. Everybody was looking at me like, this isn't the net you know, that's championship. Like be- that's like going from being blind to seeing the next day. I that, completely that's agree. <laughs> I, I, listen, I have never hit putts the way I was... On on Sunday, my putter was working. My driver was in the fairway. So, yeah, Sean 89, the second one. I loved the event. I thought it was cool. I got to hang out with some other people I've never golfed with at the uh, the club. Caring Place put on a great performance. It was a lot of fun. And I would say for anybody that's intimidated by doing it or have never done it before, join your club championship. It's a lot of fun. It's cool. And the best part about it was I shot an 89 playing to the letter of the law. So I had no pickups, I had no gimmies, and I had no drops from two yards away, making sure you're on the fairway. So it was a pretty cool event. Well, I'm glad you had a great time, and I'm with you. It's great to to perform well under the gun when it it feels real, and I'm glad you had fun. And uh, it's not about how you start, it's how you finish, Joe. So I hope you had a great weekend. On the other side. Maple Leaf Hockey, we'll talk. We're also going to talk a little golf, because I know Jim Taddy, as uh, my former co-host on Golf Talk Canada, also my co-host for the, the old uh, PGA Tour Sunday Night Wrap Wrap-Up Show. Jim loves his golf, so we will talk a little bit about golf with Jim. But I also want his opinion on our Twitter poll question, and we obviously have to talk Leafs, considering Jim is the host of Maple Leaf Hockey right here on TSN 1050. So we'll jump into the blue and white next. This is Toronto Today. Get down! Oh, you got to love that. A little James Brown there, but a little coming to America. Mr. Randy Watson, and of course, we did a little Winner's Weird and What earlier in today's show. And my next guest, that was his little intro into Winner's Weird and What back on Golf Talk Canada days. He is a Canadian broadcast icon. He is the host of the Drive Home Show in Hamilton on TSN 1150 and the host of Maple Leaf Sports on TSN 1050, and of course, my friend, Mr. Jim Taddy, joining us now. James, how are we doing? Good, Mark, uh, except for when I heard that intro, I thought it was Saturday morning and three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, that was great. I miss those days, buddy. I miss seeing you every Saturday, but, uh, you know, we still get to talk a lot of golf together, and we will talk a lot of golf together. I also want to play some Yes Guy, No Guy with you because I know you know that is your wheelhouse that that is your that is your sanctum before we get there though I want to get your uh, take on our Twitter poll question this week and we spoke about it with Craig Button earlier in today's show right off uh, the top of the show to be exact 
I don't know if you heard Eric Lindros's comments from Friday of last week. He was speaking at a concussion educational seminar mm-hmm. and, and suggested that we should remove contact from minor hockey and eventually remove it from the NHL level. That we don't need contact, body contact in, in the NHL to love the sport or for hockey to be hockey. And we asked our Twitter audience the same question and we kind of phrase it a different way. Do you need contact to love NHL the way you need contact to, to love NFL? And I wanted to see, get your opinion on this. Is, is, it, is it vital to the sport itself or could you see a day where it's just wide open, skating, shooting, passing, and you don't need the contact? Oh, I could see a day where that happens, absolutely, just because of the, uh, the long list of people who suffer the side effects of uh, concussions, you know, it's it, it's an interesting premise when you think of it. I mean, we're so used to things being a certain way, and then when somebody goes to change it, uh, you have to have a, a list of reasons why. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, if you go back over a number of years, uh, collisions and, and uh, hits and open ice hits were a big part of things, but that was at a slower-paced game. Uh, when you see a uh, hit now and you understand the ticket price and, and the coverage where it's like an instant video hit all over the world and you're selling entertainment. I don't know how entertaining it is to see somebody splayed out all over the ice. So I, I could definitely see that. Uh, and, I, and I think it, it, we would all be better for it. Uh, you know, you like uh, a lot of uh, contact just because it's the nature of the sport. Uh, there's always people on the ice at the end of the shift while they're against somebody at the start of the shift. Hockey has built in friction to it. Uh, it'd be hard to imagine without, but but I you know uh, if you've been around anybody with a concussion, uh, you understand that you don't necessarily have to be hit to get one. You just have to stop suddenly, and of course the brain hits the the skull, and and that's what creates it. So I could definitely see that happening. You know, it's interesting too, Jim. We were just talking in the previous segment that we agreed that the definition of charging uh, or uh, the way it's called, you could fix that tomorrow in the NHL, and we could probably save a lot of problems because how many times uh, during the season on on any given play in a period you see charging that never gets called, whether the guy has the puck or not, most hits in open ice, sure there's three or more strides heading into that collision, and, and maybe if we were to clearly define charging, that's a start as early as next season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to sort of go to a zero tolerance thing. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the last 15 years allowing the skill to show itself because that's what you're selling. We allowed the speed of the game to be accelerated, but we didn't really do probably enough to uh, make it safe. And I think anything that goes in that direction is fine. There's a lot of people that have, that would be my age that, have, that can go back a number of decades with how the game was played, and that's fine. That's a nice history lesson. But, again, when you see an ex-hockey player or an ex-athlete of any nature uh, struggling with, the, with the, the golden years of their life, that's just not something you want to see or, or have anybody go through. So I think you have to look at all this stuff very seriously. All right, uh, Jim, as the host of uh, Maple Leaf Hockey on TSN 1050, we're getting close. You know me. I'm a massive Leaf fan. I'm super pumped. I was in Scotland on a golf vacation. I was saying this to Craig Button earlier in the show. When I got the text, my phone lit up from people all around the country. And I have friends in El Paso, Texas, that would never talk to me about hockey, that were texting me saying, the Cup's coming to Toronto. Congratulations, I got Tavares. So, to kick off, yes guy, no guy, Toronto Today version of Yes Guy, No Guy, by the way, which we'll only ever do if Jim Taddy's here, okay? Excellent. All right. 
Jim, yeah, pass that along. Will I you? will pass this along. Yes, guy, no guy. The Toronto uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are the clear cut favorite in the division to come out at number one. Oh boy, you had to say clear cut. <laughs> you had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no guy, but I'm going to also add a proviso that it doesn't really matter. I think if if you could look at Washington and Vegas in the Stanley Cup final. You could understand that uh, anybody could get there. And, and anybody who's a, who's a reasonably good hockey team that you may have dismissed because they haven't done it in the past. Uh, clearly, I would, I would put Tampa Bay at the top of that. And I, and I think a lot of people sort of forget about Tampa because they don't, don't seem to get it done. Having said that, that was Washington's story for a number of years. And, and they had, the Tampa has a really good defense. Uh, my only concern about the Leafs would be the blue line. And, you know, obviously the... The, uh, the picture isn't finished yet, so we don't know where they're going to go with that. Uh, so I wouldn't say clear-cut, but but I would certainly they would be 1-2 on my list. All right, the blue line is the obvious. All Leaf fans point to it. But yeah. with the exception of the blue line, have the Toronto Maple Leafs ignored the fact that Freddie Anderson looked tired last year and we need a backup solution we can count on. I'm hearing that Calvin Pickard is on the trade bait uh, out of Marley's world. Yes guy, no guy, the Leafs have ignored the backup position of Freddie Anderson. Um, I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm going to say no guy. I don't think they've ignored it. I think they will address it. It's now uh, become an issue because I think uh, if you go back over the, the way that Anderson played, he was clearly tired at the end, uh, played a lot of hockey. And I think, uh, you know, do you make a judgment on one season? Uh, I think, you know, if you're going to look at or, or watch a defense mature in front of him, that maybe you would give him another year and see exactly what he has. And, and if it didn't work out this year, then you would repair that. You have to be careful with that, though. I don't know how many years you can look at things to develop. Just because, you know, as I've said many times, there are multiple cups in this team. You don't have to worry about the forwards anymore. They're looked after, and the rest will uh, up front will take care of itself. But but you don't want to waste time waiting for other units of the team to catch up to the forward unit. So I'd have a short leash on all of that. We're with Jim Taddy, who's the host of the Toronto Maple Leafs coverage here on TSN 1050. Also the drive home uh, host on uh, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Taddy. That's at Jim Taddy. Switching gears here, Jim, because I know you love your golf. So I want to keep with the yes guy, no guy, but I want to switch to golf because I know you're passionate about the sport. You play a lot. You play of a great golf club yourself. Last week, I was hosting Toronto Today on Friday, and our Twitter poll question was... Will Tiger win, Woods win before next year's Masters? Will he win once, two or more, or none? Our audience was, it really caught me off guard. 43% said he'd win no tournaments between now and next year's Masters. Really? 41% said one tournament, and 16% said two or more. So just yes hmm. guy, no guy. Will Tiger Woods win between now and next year's Masters? emphatically yes guy come on how can anybody say he can't win did you see him last week at pga championship this guy he got so close he can smell blood he, he is so close now that and he now understands because he's doing most of the work himself is that he won't have to he can't skill himself to a win anymore he has to use his head and and that is a pretty decent golf brain would you not admit yeah I, i'm with you jim in fact I, i'd be shocked if he didn't win more than than once uh, you a- know absolutely I, I, streaky right right would you you know we still haven't seen his a game yet when he when he figures it uh, out how to keep it in the fairway on a consistent level and get off to good starts on thursday look out but 
you know, I might even uh, suggest this to you. Yes guy, no guy, Tiger Woods will win in the playoffs, assuming he plays all four, which is what we're being led to believe. Oh, well, I'm going to say yes guy. I think because he got so close at the last major that he now knows how, how actually close he is to winning this thing, and, and he knows what to do. I mean, you know, if that, if that ball doesn't sit on the lip of that cup in, in the final day, I mean, he was so close, and he had a great round. I mean, I guess he could have been nine under that day if, if everything dropped properly, right? Yeah, and then that's why it shocked me that the Twitter audience from last week said 16% said that he wouldn't win at all. Uh, or excuse me, 16% said that he would win two or more. It was the smallest of the three choices. Because if you and I both believe, as many people do, that he can win in the playoffs, which is in the next four weeks, then you're trying to tell me that if he wins in the playoffs that he doesn't have another win under his belt between you know, the end of September and April of next year, when you think of all the tournaments he's going to play, Torrey Pines, L.A., his Hero World Challenge in December, a couple of events for sure in Florida, on the Florida Swing. Like, he's going to have probably seven more starts after the playoffs. So if he wins in the playoffs, you're telling me he's going to go 0 for 7 and not grab the second win. See, Jim, this is why we always got along. Great minds think alike. You see? That's what... (laughs) James, I got to throw this one at you because uh, you and I always had this conversation and it's come out of the woodwork again and I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it. You know, we see guys step up and win their first major event, their big event. And we always used to say, oh, this is the springboard. This is, you know, this he uses this to go to the next level. And in recent years, with the exception of Jordan Spieth and now Brooks Kepka, most often when we use that phrase or we anticipate that type of growth as a player, if we fall flat on our face. And most recently... Sergio Garcia. He wins oh. he wins the 2017 Masters and as you would put it so perfectly goes in the witness protection program. What <laughs> happened to Sergio? He missed the playoffs, Jim, for the first time in history. What happened to Sergio or Broder? What happens to these guys? Why can't they use it as the confidence in the springboard? I I you know, I can never figure that out, but that's that's the game of golf, right? Uh, you know, you, you put a couple of shots together and you think it goes somewhere. And, of course, the negative uh, process is a couple of bad shots and, and you think you're down and out. I, I don't know. Did, did you not go out to lunch with him this year? Yeah. The, year the year you went out with him, he seemed to have a good year. That's right. The only thing he needed was a lunch break with me, maybe nine holes at Riviera, and everything would have went just fine, Jim. But I know. I, I was going to ask you that. I mean, what the heck happened to this oh. guy? He just... He just lost his mojo. Oh, completely. And, you know, amazing to say that this guy's been part of the FedEx Cup playoffs since its inauguration. And this year, he will watch the FedEx Cup playoffs at home with a bag of cheesies. Unreal how that happens. So, uh, Jim, before I let you go, I know you're a monster uh, Detroit Red Wings fan. Um, Nicholas Cronwall has suggested that this might be his last season as a Red Wing. Uh, Just some thoughts on on him as a Red Wing, where he might land in the history books. It's such a storied franchise. You know, in my mind, obviously, he's no Nicholas Lindstrom or anything along those lines, but, you know, a very good player for a very long time. Yeah, he was. He was a pretty durable guy, uh, sort of a glue defenseman, a great 3-4 guy. I think his game suffered when Lindstrom left, as, as everybody's did when they pumped him up to the one-two spot. But a, a re- very good, reliable defenseman. Um, he's had uh, knee problems for the last couple of years, definitely done. And, and I guess the news out of Detroit is probably 
Zetterberg with a back problem uh, might he'll show up at camp but probably won't be able to play this year and, and might be done as well. So there, there's the transition happening, and, and uh, you know they're looking at a, a long rebuild there, that's for sure. Yeah, it has to happen, but uh, if there's any franchise that can handle it, I'm sure it's Detroit. Jim, thanks for taking the time, and uh, I'll talk to you later today. We'll talk some golf later today on 1150. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Jim Taddy, host of Maple Leaf Hockey on TSN 1050. We're only a few weeks away. Man, am I excited about the Leaf season. I haven't got my Tavares jersey yet. I need my Tavares jersey. I've been holding off on what jersey to go with. I'm a huge uh, uh, Mitch Marner fan. I, I, like To me, he's, he is just the guy who I think is going to break out all of this as the big winner. And I know he had a great year last year, but it was a little under the radar. You know, the first third of the season or so, you know, fourth line, maybe not getting his time, getting his, his due. Uh, but wow, what he could do in this lineup next year, I, I just can't wait to see it. I am totally pumped for Maple Leaf hockey this season. Also big 49er fan. I can't remember being this excited about Leaf hockey and 49er football at the same time in quite some years. I think you have to go back to 1992-93. Gilmore, Clark, Andrew Chuck, Leaf era, and Steve Young, Jerry Rice, 49er era for me to be this excited about hockey and football at the same time. And I'm, of course, dating myself now, showing you how old I am. But yes, that is the last time I think I was excited about the blue and white and the red and gold in the same season. Before we wrap up today's show, I'd like to get final numbers. Joe, can we get final numbers quickly on our Twitter poll where the percentages fell on do we need contact in hockey as like we needed in NFL? What, what did we finish at? So, for the poll, I'm pulling it up right now. We finished out 73% yes, it's part of the game. 27% no, hockey is hockey. All right, so it kind of leveled in where we thought it would be, and the comments stayed the same. So, I think, again, it proves that we are trending towards, you know, at least more responsible contact in the game, but it will be there. I would say, and this is going to be crazy, biggest solution to physicality in hockey, and I swear it's going to take forever to do this, they just need a bigger arena. Yeah, bigger, the ice is way yeah. too small. Got everybody's six feet tall, and they're all trucks, and they skate them like a thousand miles per hour, and there's just not enough space anymore. It is just basic math. If the players have gotten larger and they are moving faster, but the surfaces remain the same, it means there is less space out there. It is basic math. They blew it when they started building all the new arenas. They could have gone to a hybrid ice surface, not quite Olympic, but a little bit more space for these guys, and they blew it. I don't know if they blew it out of greed because they wanted more seats in. There's ways to adjust that, but I think you hit the nail, Joe, on the head right there, as you've done a few times this show, by the way. I didn't do that on the tee, but I did it here, so at least (laughs) I hit something on the head. I want to give a shout-out to Nick Taylor and Adam Svensson. Nick Taylor went low on Sunday at the Wyndham Championship to secure his PGA Tour card for next year and to make his way to the FedEx Cup playoffs alongside Adam Hadwin. And I want to give a shout-out to Adam Svensson, who finished in the top 25 on the Web.com Tour. So Canadian Adam Svensson has his tour card for 2018-19 on the PGA Tour. He will join Hadwin and Taylor on the PGA Tour next season. The question is, can Corey Connors, can David Hearn, can Ben Silverman, can Ryan Yip, can Albin Choi, can other Canadians come through the Web.com Tour Finals and find their way to the PGA Tour next year 
to join Hadwin, Taylor, and Svensson. And of course, we'll all be watching the health of Graham Dillette as he recently announced that he needs a second back surgery. So question marks around Graham Dillette and his future as a professional golfer. Really enjoyed hosting Toronto today. I hope I'm back to do this again. I'm on my way to Jersey to kick off the FedEx Cup playoffs for PGA Tour Radio. All the best players in the world will be in Jersey for the Northern Trust. Huge money on the line and everybody chasing golf's richest prize. Follow me on Twitter, ZmanTSNGTC. It's at ZmanTSNGTC. And, of course, this Saturday morning, we're back for Golf Talk Canada Radio. And this Wednesday, we're back for Golf Talk Canada Television. Thank you so much for listening. Andy McNamara up for Scotty Mac next for the Scott MacArthur Show. This was Toronto Today.